You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am bringing the heat today. So last week was awesome. I enjoyed the little end of the week, Cinco de Mayo. Let's talk about forgiveness. A lot was covered in that just classic Jesse rant. And then I thought, you know, literally as I was doing the show, I thought, okay, there's got to be a follow-up to forgiveness, which is what I is call it in my show notes. I'm calling it forgiveness part one, forgiveness part two. So that one was about forgiving. And when you say you're going to forgive someone, figuring out a way to get on the path of forgiveness and how it seems ludicrous to me to look someone in the eyes and say, okay, let's work on this. Let's forgive for the transgressions of the past past, and let's move forward. And then continuously disconnect in the communication rather than connecting in the communication. And we're just jumping right in today because I'm going to try my darndest to keep this under 45 minutes because I did one hell of a deep dive on forgiveness. And me and my homie, the internet, uh, I had a call through a lot of nonsense and a lot of, mm, yeah, that sounds pretty obvious kind of stuff. And some of this is, some of this is going to be obvious. Then we're going to really start to push ourselves. And at the end of this, I'm going to talk to you guys about an NLP technique called perceptual positions that actually allows you to see the experience from different point of views, because often we get locked in our first person point of view when we're having a conversation with somebody about things from the past, present, future, whenever, and we're failing to take the opportunity in that moment to see it from the second or the third person point of view, because there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of data that we're not necessarily privy to when we're experiencing it through our own eyes. And I'm going to be very honest about this episode. We are going to discuss some things that are probably going to be outside of certain comfort zones. We understand what it's like to communicate, to have empathy and to understand, and a willingness to let go of negative emotions. We've covered that for 200 some episodes. But when you get into these communication opportunities to really, really dive in deep, be vulnerable, be honest, be open to forgiveness... It's often going to take a level of communication we most of the time aren't really self-assured about. I, I almost bit my tongue right there by saying that we'd never done, but we've had deep, open, and honest communication opportunities, and we've seized them, and we've been vulnerable in the moment. And something popped up in my head just now that if you want something that you've never had, you've got to do something that you've never done. And you've heard that other ways, but basically it comes down to if you want something that you've never had, you have to do things you've never done. Most of us haven't really had an opportunity to be in a very emotionally intelligent relationship, one where it's not about who's right and who's wrong, who's to blame and who can be feeling like the victor, who's the victim and who's the villain. Most of us don't have a lot of relationships like that. There's pretty consistently someone who has to feel like they're they're one-upping the other. And when it comes to forgiveness, man, it's not something you just snap your fingers and attain. It's a journey. It's an adventure between two people to really get down into the depths of what's been holding them back and what is allowing them to step forward, 
what happened then versus what's happening today and what can possibly happen tomorrow. And I know I use, you know, Jesse gets all excited and he uses some verbiage. So I want to just clear up something about last week's episode. At no point did I call anybody crazy for not being able to forgive. I've gotten a little bit of feedback about that. So I just want to clear the air on it. It's not, you're not, no, I don't, I don't judge. I seek to understand people at a deeper, more meaningful level. Anyone who's listened to the show for a long period of time will absolutely have heard me say that hundreds, if not thousands of times at this point. It's the action of saying you'll forgive and then holding somebody's feet to the fire a thousand times over, even though they've apologized up and down the street and they're doing their damnedest to make amends today for behaviors that they did way back then. We don't have Dot Brown's DeLorean. We can't go back with Marty McFly and Einstein and make all things right. We can do what we do today and we can move forward tomorrow. And we're going to talk a lot about fear and anger and sadness today. So let's just get straight into this because nobody's crazy for not being able to forgive. It's just what I said when I mentioned crazy was just that the idea of looking someone in the eyes and saying, I'll forgive you, and then beating them down with that memory, even when they're trying their damnedest, that has, to me, some incongruencies in it. So let's get into this because, man, did I go bonkers on my research. (sighs) Let's breathe in deep. And let's really get ourselves into a state of understanding forgiveness. This is for yourself. This is for other people. Perhaps you've wronged and you've gotten to step eight and you go to make amends, except when it's going to harm yourself or others, right? We we understand all the, the, the all the little you know, tiny fonts on that one. But number eight's about making amends and about going back and you know and, and seeking forgiveness for those that you've done wrong. And in many cases, it can also be yourself. Um, this is why I have so many people in my tribe journal because that's when they can really communicate with themselves. Because achieving forgiveness with someone else, it's very complex. It's multifaceted. It is a process that involves lots of different components. Three of the important ones I want to cover right at the very beginning of the show are open and honest communication, empathy and understanding, and a willingness to let go of negative emotions. And we're just going to briefly cover these because we're getting ready to get really into them later. But I really want to make sure, especially if you're taking notes, you put that down on some paper. Open and honest communication. Empathy and understanding and a willingness to let go of negative emotions. Communication is absolutely crucial. It is, to me, it is the end-all be-all of the forgiveness. To me, honestly, it's the end-all be-all of everything about being a human. How can we communicate with ourselves, with our loved ones, with people at work, with the woman behind the deli counter, with the dog, with the rabbit in the backyard? Seriously, communication is absolutely the most crucial component of existence, let alone forgiveness. But it's with this open and honest communication, it's going to allow both parties, multiple parties, whomever you're picturing in your mind, just go with your idea. I don't need to sit here and try to tinker with every word I say to make sure I'm painting your picture. Your mind's already there. You have somebody in your mind right now you're thinking could be working on forgiveness with. It's going to be important to listen to the other person's point of view, to express yourself clear and respectfully in a manner that actually promotes understanding and empathy between both of you. To listen to the other person's point of view and to express yourself in a clear and respectful manner that promotes understanding and empathy. 
absolutely crucial. Empathy and understanding, they are key components of forgiveness because they allow the both parties to recognize the emotions and experiences of the other person. Right? Whether you're trying to understand the motivations and experiences the other person has had that led them to behaving that way, and also rec- just recognizing in a more broader social, psychological, these cultural factors that may have contributed to the behavior. It doesn't mean you have to condone it. If somebody hits you or stole from you or lied to you, betrayed you, gossiped, whatever it is that you're seeking to forgive them for, just because you forgive them doesn't mean you condone the behavior. Because you have empathy and understanding of a childhood that was wrought with adverse childhood experiences that led them to believe that, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, hitting, whatever it may be, was an acceptable form of behavior, you're not condoning that behavior. You're not saying, okay, cool. I totally get it. That's okay. We're not looking for that. We're just merely looking for you to expand your vision beyond what you've just been focused on and just seeing the more broader scope of the social, the psychological, and the cultural factors that could have contributed to the behavior. A lot of our parents were raised by other parents who believe that spare the rod, spoil the child. The fact that our, that our current generations, Gen X, Millennials, and whatever the other ones are called, the fact that we don't hit as much as we were hit shows amazing growth in our society. But it doesn't mean that we're going to absolutely be able to shed that. Right? I have been angry. I can get angry. Have I ever hit anyone? No. I have only been punched twice in my face in my entire life, and both of those, oddly enough, I was sober. So... <laughs> It's different now than it was then. And again, we're not condoning it. We're just understanding it on a more broader spectrum. And then we have to have a willingness to let go of emotions. Forgiveness requires a humongous willingness. Humongous willingness. Let's throw a couple more nesses in here to release negative emotions. Anger and resentment. Those are two huge ones. If we're going to move towards a place of healing and understanding, a willingness to let go of negative emotions is absolutely crucial. It could involve engaging in practices such as mindfulness or meditation, deep breathing. These are things that we've heard before. Honestly, I think it goes back to just having a conversation with the other person. And whenever you don't want to let go of something, you want to ask yourself, why? Why am I unwilling to let go of this? Because it's a conscious choice to hold on. And it's also a conscious choice to forgive. If you want to move forward in a positive direction, you want to understand within yourself, what is holding me back from forgiving? Was it that I don't forgive myself? I don't forgive others. So why should I be giving forgiveness to other people? What is it? Was it maybe something in your childhood where you don't feel that you were ever forgiven? So why should you be offering forgiveness? We don't want to allow our own actions to be dictated by other people's actions. We want to be in control of our own minds, therefore our own results, our own bodies, therefore our own results. This is imperative to every form of healing from suffering, let alone stepping into a place of forgiveness. Because philosophically, forgiveness, it is complex and multifaceted. There's so many different dimensions personal responsibility, not blaming, complaining, or making excuses. There's empathy. There's compassion. And this is the thing about the personal responsibility aspect of this, about the not blaming, complaining, or making excuses. Whatever happened in the past, it it is what it is. And as those of us in addiction recovery, we are seeking to understand ourselves at a deeper, more meaningful level. 
those of us who choose to stay in our lives and be a part of this journey with us, we're not asking them to condone that past behavior or just try to sweep it under the rug. Time does not heal all wounds. It merely dampens their effects. But if each and every time somebody does something, you're splashing back the pain of the past in their face, it is going to be very difficult to move forward. We don't want to be blaming and complaining and making excuses about what happened then. We want to be in the now, not blaming, complaining, and making excuses. Well, I can't forgive you now because of what you did then. That's making an excuse. That's saying that you don't have control over your mind, therefore you don't have control over your results. Are you really handing over the keys to your vehicle called life simply because of that? And again, you got to make your own determination. Lie, cheat, stole, beat, healed, whatever it may have been. You got to make your determination. But if you look someone in the eye and say, I'm going to forgive you, I'm going to work on forgiveness, but then you don't actually do any of the working on the forgiveness, then those are just words. Like I said last week, actions speak louder than words. And while it may seem difficult or even impossible in the face of physical abuse or assault, it can be a powerful tool for healing and growth. Even that, oh, I always want to butcher her name, the woman from the Afghanistan region, um, Mushaf Malali, uh, I, uh, I used to know it off the top of my head. Somebody threw hydrochloric acid in her face and she forgave them. I know, that's pretty extreme. But for forgiveness is for you. Stop drinking the poison. So when we discuss this philosophical approach to forgiveness, it's this view of this process of transformation, liberation, Forgiveness involves letting go of negative emotions, of anger, resentment, bitterness, finding a way to move forward with compassion and understanding. It's going to require acknowledging the reality of the situation, while at the same time recognizing the inherent worth and dignity of yourself and of the other person involved. Another philosophical perspective on forgiveness is to view it as an act of moral courage and virtue. We got moral courage. We got virtue. We got dignity. We are rocking this episode because it's so imperative. To be able to move forward is to be able to cut the anchors from the past. To show up in a relationship with this moral courage and this virtue. To forgive someone who's caused you harm. The the willingness to be vulnerable. To take responsibility for your own actions, for your own emotions, for your own reactions, for your own responses. Recognizing the humanity, we are all fallible. We are a fallibility maligned creature. So we're making a conscious choice to respond with compassion and empathy, even in the face of difficult circumstances, of all the things. Again, lying, chilling, stealing, beating, whatever it may have been. And again, we're walking into this episode assuming that you have said, I want to forgive. If you don't want to forgive, just turn the episode off and move on with your day. If you want to forgive, then the rest of this episode's for you. We're assuming that you have said, yes, I want to forgive. That's where this understanding that humans are fallible, that things have happened to us in the past, our brains, they begin to justify our behaviors. I know to think that somebody could be able to justify lying or cheating or stealing or, or hitting or any of those kind of abusive things. In this day and age, there is a lot of violence in our society. And there are people who wake up and think that their best case scenario for the day is to take a weapon, go into a public place, use the weapon. And if all things go well, other people use weapons on them and then they're no longer on this planet either. There are people who wake up and think that's the day that they're supposed to be having. 
what happened to that person that led them to that moment where they said, this is it, this is what I'm going to do. And now I know it might be tough for some of us to understand, but we weren't living in their shoes. We don't know what was going on in their brain any more than we know what's going on in most people's brain that are around us. Sure, 99.9% of us have this switch that we do never flip that says, let's pick up weapons and go do things. But we yell, we scream, we hit, we cheat on one another, we, we steal, we've lied. There are things that others might think are preposterous, and yet we somehow, through years of addiction, convince ourselves it was pretty okay behavior. So when we get into the philosophy of this, we want to be thinking of moral courage. We want to be thinking of virtue. We want to be thinking of the humanity and the fallibility of ourselves. And what else do we want to make sure that we cover before we get too much into this? And I know we're already almost at 20 minutes. I told you it was going to be a long one. Adverse childhood experiences. These are traumatic experiences that occur in childhood. Physical, emotional, it's abuse, it's neglect household dysfunction. These experiences have a profound, profound long-lasting effect on a person's emotional, psychological, physical well-being. Will they lead to negative behaviors in the future? Studies show that they do. So when we go back to the philosophical perspective and we look at ACEs in this manner, it can be seen as a reflection of the broader societal issues of power, inequality, oppression happening in someone's household, happening at someone's school, happening in somebody's life. So now we have these ACEs rooted in the systemic and structural factors of it can be poverty and racism and sexism and ages of all of these different things, not to mention just the fact that we've got, you know, intellectual capabilities. We've got this socioeconomic background, people with money versus people without as much money. How are they treating one another when they're raising children? All of these things create conditions that can leave a child vulnerable and 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 open for traumatizing, traumatizing, <laughs> traumatizations within their own individual lives and within their com- communities. When we look at the studies that ACEs have shown us, we see that children who have a rough go of things, and sometimes you don't even realize it's it's a rough go of things, they end up mirroring a lot of that behavior, and then they end up showing aggressions and substance abuse and self-harm. So recognizing that an individual who has experienced four or more ACEs, is they're not inherently flawed or immoral. That's not where we're going with this. We're not judging again. We're seeking to understand each other at a deeper, more meaningful level. These ACEs can create a significant barriers to moral growth and development, to intellectual growth, to emotional intelligence and growth. It's the support, the resources that are available. Individuals can overcome these barriers. But it's by surrounding themselves with people who have moral qualities, who show resilience and compassion and forgiveness. Forgiveness shows up in ACEs too whenever I did my research, and it's huge. So what are we talking about with ACEs? That people have had a rough go of things. And again, we're not condoning their behavior as much as we're seeking to understand them. So we've got these ACEs. We understand that we want deeper connection. We want honest connection. We want to have the ability to really look somebody in the eyes and have empathy and understanding for them and a willingness to let go of negative emotions. Willingness to let go of negative emotions. Right Now we start asking them about their childhood. We start understanding a little bit more about them. We say, okay, I could totally see how your behavior back when you were in active addiction led you to behave the way that you did. Okay, again, not condoning the behavior as much as seeking to understand this person. So when we go to step into forgiveness, trust. Trust is how you begin to form this forgiveness we seek. Trust is something that we start to form with all new humans when we meet them. 
Do they say what they say and then they do what they do? Are they there when they say they're going to be there? You know, do we do we understand why they say what they say when they say things and do what they do when they do things? This trust is something that's been broken. And when trust has been broken, we have to acknowledge the pain and the hurt that's been caused. Because I get it. It can be difficult to forgive someone and move forward in a relationship. If it wasn't difficult, it'd almost be like it wasn't even worth earning. Like we want there to be a series of of time and events and, and moments where it's really like, okay, we're getting into this. Let's figure this out. Let's build this trust back. Because it's the foundation of any and all healthy relationships. Without it, you're just you're going from one challenge to the next. But not necessarily building a strong connection. So we want to be able to recognize that rebuilding trust takes time. It cannot be forced. It cannot be rushed. But we want to be working on it. So when we look for key steps in rebuilding trust, we first we want to be making amends. I am sorry that I have hurt you. I'm sorry that I brought pain and sadness into your life. This is the beginning. Taking responsibility for our actions, apologizing sincerely. You you can take steps to make things right. You know, if it was monetary, of course, you can pay back the money. But if it was more, you know, of a physical or emotional or a psychological kind of abuse, it's going to take a little bit different. And we want to be mindful not to turn this into some kind of transaction. Oh, well, you know, you did this. So if you make me dinner 11 times and rub my back six times and drive me to work four times and, you know, change the baby's diaper 117,000 times, then I'll forgive you. If it turns transactional, then that's exactly what it is. It's a transaction. If we're sitting here bartering our way to forgiveness, it's not really going to be forgiveness. You can't buy your way into somebody's heart. I know a lot of guys think you can just throw jewelry and flowers at a problem, but that's not really the way that it works any more than a way to a man's heart is through his stomach or his crotch. Like, it doesn't really work that way. I know we might try to convince ourselves it works that way, but it doesn't really work that way. So it's important to follow through on promises that we make, but be careful not to have these promises become more of a transactional kind of situation. If you say you're going to be somewhere, then be there. If you're going to do something, then do it. But if this idea of writing out a contract that, you know, make me dinner 147 times and clearing out the kitty litter box for the next 14 months, transactional, it's going to have way, way, way less of an effect psychologically, deeply at an unconscious level than you might think that it should. You might think, well, I can buy my way out of this. I can can be of acts of service my way out of this. It really takes the other person saying, okay, I'm going to open my heart again to you, knowing that it, it could it could happen because we're fallible creatures. So when, when you understand that a human is fallible and they can make mistakes, but you live in this world where you're just constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop, like I said last week, it's like you're just betting on the horse to break its leg. You're betting on the kid to bust his face. You're betting on the airplane to come crashing down. Do we really want to be betting on somebody that we love to fail? Now, we do want to have clear boundaries and expectations for the relationship moving forward. Now, whether this is discussing what behaviors are acceptable and what behaviors are not, and then creating a plan for how to handle future issues that arise from this discussion, what behavior is acceptable, what behaviors are not. Actually sitting down and writing this stuff out, because a lot of talky-talky with no righty-righty is a lot of things forgotten-forgotten. Somebody, it's going to become a he said, she said, he said, he said, she said, she said, all of them and and more. It's 
hoping that your brain remembers every little nuanced word, it's a fool errand. You've got to be writing things down. Good communication, actively listening to the other person's concerns and their needs. This is what's involved in being open and honest about your feelings, working together to find solutions, and then writing this stuff down. Rebuilding trust will take time, and it's an effort from both parties. It's going to require a willingness to be vulnerable, to listen to each other, to work together, and not have to always be right. Do you want to be right, or do you want to connect? Seriously. If, if you're not sure how to answer that question, go look in a mirror. Pause me. Get up and do it right now. Close your eyes. Look at yourself through your mind's eye and ask yourself, do you want to be right or do you want to connect? I know as someone who has asked for forgiveness and then seems to, you know, I with the girlfriend, haven't always done the, the smartest thing. You know, haven't always made the best decisions. But when forgiveness was decided upon, right, and then I have to be really mindful, you know, do I have to always be right or do I just want to connect? Where is this this journey for her to be right and me to be wrong and me to be right and her to be wrong? Where is it stopping the growth of the relationship in its tracks? This is really important to know. And it can be tough. It can be tough if someone is trying to sit there and tell you that you're wrong when you know you're right. The car's blue. You say it's blue. They're like, it's teal. Okay, great. We want to get into an argument about the nuance of it. Fine. It's teal. Congratulations. You pat yourself on the back. Let's give yourself a ribbon. You called it out as teal. Are you sure it's not seafoam blue? I don't know. It's freaking blue. But we get ourselves caught up in this, this who's right, who's wrong. And what we're doing is we're disconnecting ourselves. So when we ask ourselves why forgiveness is so important, there's going to be a plethora of benefits, but I've come up with a list and we're going to go through some of these. So here's some reasons why someone might choose to forgive another person, right? Promotes emotional well-being. We know that forgiveness can can help reduce negative emotions, anger, resentment, bitterness. It promotes positive emotions, empathy, compassion, understanding. This is what it does. And it does this because it's, 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 it's powerful. It's powerful. And this is what I'm talking about, too, when I say that we're, if you want something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. Whenever you want to release anger, resentment, and bitterness and promote positive emotions such as empathy, compassion, and understanding, this is not being taught in the United States of America right now. For the most part, if somebody sneezes the wrong way, if somebody tweeted something that seven years ago somebody finds disparaging now, it's like burn their whole lives down. I get a lot of people feel like they've been taken advantage of for way too long. They've been hurt. But you want to hold on to the anger, resentment, and the bitterness? Or do you want to open up to empathy, compassion, and understanding? We all grow. We all change. We all evolve. Now, are you control in control of your growth and your evolution through the learning and the applying and the evaluating? Or are you just freestyling it? Because if you're just freestyling it and you're not paying attention to the roadsides coming up, then how do you know you're on the road to forgiveness? We want to promote emotional well-being. Also, forgiveness helps with your physical health. Negative emotions, anger, resentment, they can really start to tear up your body. Blood pressure, heart rate, stress hormones, the whole, the whole deal, the whole gambit. Forgiveness, it reduces 
right? This, this blood pressure, this sort of, you know, you ever walked up into a room and you just know someone's a bit pissed off at you and you immediately feel like high stress and high anxiety? That stuff eats away at you. The body does keep the score. There's a book. It's got that title. It's correct. So forgiving somebody else improves physical health. In fact, a lot of stress um, and anxiety releases a certain hormone into the body that actually holds on to fat. And a lot of uh, this gut fat that's, uh, that we have in this country right now actually stems from this flooding of these hormones and it like holds on to the fat around the belly button area because that's where a lot of your very important organs are. So the body's like, better protect this. And since it can't just snap its fingers and make muscle nearly as fast as it can make fat, that's what you end up surrounding around your belly button. It'd be much cooler if you could put a bunch of muscle there, but that takes effort. And again, improving physical health could mean going to the gym and working off some of this aggression, this sadness, this negative emotions that you feel. It's going to enhance your relationships. Forgiveness is going to promote a positive relationship between you and the other person. The personal growth that's going to come from this, being able to look yourself in the mirror and saying, wow, you know, I stepped into this moral virtue and I stepped into this personal growth. I have self-awareness and self-compassion and a deeper understanding of myself by going through this journey of forgiveness. Being truly self-aware and realizing while somebody may have you know lied, cheat, stole, bit, beat you, right, all of the above, somebody may have done some of these things. Nobody is no human's infallible, right? Your behavior may have not have warranted the person running out of the house and getting wasted and, and hooking up with somebody else on you. I'm not saying that at all, but certainly there were some actions that you had that you probably could look at and be like, yeah, you know what, I went a little sideways there. Right? Where could I be a better friend or a better partner or a better family member? Where Where is there a chance for me to also step up and grow too? And again, I'm, I really want you to hear that the right way, or at least the way I'm intending it. I'm not saying that the person, you know, stealing money out of your wallet or cheating on you with their best friend was warranted by you you know, ignoring them at the dinner table. That's not where we're going with this. But certainly, if you were to look back, And we'll get into that in perceptual positions later on down this episode. Certainly, if you were to look back, you could say, okay, there's some things I could be working on too. Because you want to have social harmony in your life. And compassion and understanding and empathy is how you create this, not just with the individuals in your life, but whole groups of people. What are you going to want to do in order to step into this? Amazing, amazing feeling of forgiveness. You want to acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the reality of the situation and the pain that it caused. Accept the reality of the situation and the emotions that arise from it. Acknowledge the hurt. Then we want to begin to let go of the anger and resentment, right? Releasing this negative emotion, you... It's like you want to visualize yourself, like, I don't know, regurgitating it out of your mouth or, you know, throwing it up like a baseball and hitting it away. Like you want to create some visual imagery of you releasing this. Finding a way to move forward with compassion, understanding a lot of pretty little words for a very complex system that's going to be only going on inside of you. It's going to be unique to you. Empathy and understanding and taking responsibility for your own emotions and your own reactions, yes, that is absolutely of the utmost importance. But it's that conscious choice to forgive. It's a deliberate choice. 
I got this whole thing about the history of forgiveness and how ancient Greek philosophy, you know, first was written about by Plato and Aristotle and religious traditions and moral and political philosophy. But we're coming up past 30 minutes and I'm trying not to turn this into an hour long episode. So I'll skip the ancient Greek historical uh, references of forgiveness. But I will say this, Plato believed that forgiveness was a crucial component of moral character. Aristotle emphasized the importance of empathy and understanding in the forgiveness process. So both Plato and Aristotle talked about forgiveness as moral character and empathy and understanding. I mean, come on, Plato, Aristotle. I mean, seriously, seriously. And if you're religious, it shows up in Christianity, Judaism, Islam, whether it's Christianity's forgiveness is associated with the concept of grace, or whether it's Judaism's forgiveness is linked to repentance and atonement, or whether it's Islam's forgiveness being linked to the concept of mercy and compassion, it shows up in all the important religious books. So I guess I sort of just dove into it anyways. <laughs> I even came across somebody named Immanuel Kant, uh, Kant, K-A-N-T, Kant, Kant, uh, believed that forgiveness was a moral duty, while somebody named Hannah Arndt uh, emphasized the importance of forgiveness in the context of political reconciliation and healing. I'm telling you, I went down a rabbit hole. I went down a rabbit hole. So we know that it shows up. There's a past historical references for this. Look, forgiveness and the inability to do so caused wars throughout Europe and Asia and Africa and the Americas. I mean, every single continent. I mean, maybe Antarctica. I even bet some people got pissed off at one another in Antarctica. I bet you some scientific nerds, somebody ate the last like Reese's Pieces buttercup, and the other person was like, you mother effer, the next plane isn't showing up for like 14 days. I swear I'm going to lock you outside. <laughs> Took a quick little water break right there. So back to Antarctica. Who ate my Reese's Peter's Buttercups? Forgiving someone is personal. It's individual. It's unique. It's happened throughout the millennia. And when we don't forgive, that's when homes are destroyed, families are ruined, countries fall. Acknowledge the hurt. Seek to understand how you can release the anger and resentment. Developing empathy and understanding. Take a responsibility for your own actions. Making conscious choices to forgive. How are you going to go about doing this? I've got a lot going on here with this. Uh, Obviously, seeking support. If you're someone listening to support somebody who's in active addiction recovery or still in active addiction, Al-Anon, I cannot stress that one enough. I know it's got some ties to AA, and that is what it is. Remember, everything's accepted here. But Al-Anon is one of the more preferred in the industry for, for family members, for loved ones to go and learn more about what the person who was going through active addiction was experiencing. There's not many others that you will be able to find spread throughout um, the world, really. They're everywhere. So you can seek support. Maybe you need to get to a therapist or a counselor. I'd be really mindful about going to friends and family. I really would be. Because you're, you, if you're talking to somebody who wants to support you, then they're just going to be an echo chamber. And if you go to somebody who's gone through something similar, then they might have disdain for you because you did something to a friend or somebody else that somebody did to them. Got to be really mindful going to friends and family, right? They're just going to give you their opinion and may not be the best opinion. You have to make that decision. But if you run to your parents to tell your parents about what your partner did to you, and then a week later, you've forgiven the person, but your parents haven't. 
because they think your partner wronged you. How dare you forgive them? No, you should still be angry and you should still be furious. And you're like, no, we figured it out. It's all over. It's all good. They're holding on to anger and resentment. And you're over here in the land of forgiveness. So you want to be really, really mindful about running to your parents to complain about your spouse or your partner because they may not be so open to just releasing it, especially if you use them as your sounding board a lot. At some point, they're just going to have this really wicked sort of blended up version of your partner, of this person you're coming to complain to them about. They're going to have this blended up version in their head. And they might want to hold on to things. They might be taking just a smidge bit out of it and blowing it up. And meanwhile, you're like, that wasn't even the important part to me. So finding somebody who's actually got training in this, therapists, counselors, recovery coaches. I've worked a lot in this area because I've put myself through the rigors. You're also going to want to practice self-care. It could be exercise. It could be meditation. It could be walking in a park. Whatever it is, you're going to want to be practicing some self-care. Yes, there are times that you need to say, you know what, I just need to take a break from this conversation. Let's come back to it later. Now, hiding from it for the next two weeks isn't going to help anybody's situation. But certainly there can be times where you're like, okay, I've reached my threshold here. I need to stop. Consider the benefits of the forgiveness. Reflecting on the potential benefits, whether it's improving the relationship, the emotional well-being, uh, providing motivation to yourself to continue working towards forgiveness, whatever it might be. Hell, you might have kids in the house. Do you want to see from them this inability to forgive as they get older? Or do you want to be that parent who is the beacon of hope, who is the lighthouse in the rough waters? Who is watching you and might be looking to model their behavior off of you? So when we engage in this empathy and this compassion, it's, again, it's opening up a more broader social, psychological, and cultural factors, and it's going to take time, and we know that. So I want to dive into the fear, anger, and sadness, because to me, and again, I mean, I'm just Jesse here, but of the three, there's, you know, was it fear, anger, sadness, guilt, shame, hurt. Those are the six major undesirable emotions that we talk about within neuro-linguistic programming. Fear, anger, sadness, guilt, shame, hurt. The three I'm going to cover today are going to be fear, anger, and sadness. Because these are the ones that when I first came up with this idea to dive deeper into this, I thought, yeah, those are the ones. Those are the ones that are holding people back. And it's and the first one that came to mind was fear. In fact, I was just going to do it on fear at first. But then I was like, well, there's anger and there's sadness involved. So let's make sure we don't leave those out. But certainly fear. Fear is, to me the biggest deterrent to forgiveness because it can be scary to forgive. It can be scary to forgive and it's okay to feel scared. The fear of being hurt again, the fear that forgiving the other person might mean that you're weak or you're vulnerable, especially if you were raised in a certain societal culture where weakness and vulnerability meant that somebody would take advantage of you. I mean, it's definitely if you have aces from your childhood where you were hurt, where you felt weak, where you felt vulnerable and people took advantage of you, then this fear of forgiving can be a lot. It can be a lot. But again, if we're constantly afraid that if we forgive this person, that we open up our heart heart to them, that they could one day reject our heart again, they could lie, cheat, steal, abuse, whatever it may be, then it's like we're betting against them. And we're also betting against ourselves 
Because if we really do take a self-inventory and say, okay, where are some things I can be working on? Then we really step into this amazing open line of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Any relationship, somebody could hurt you. Any relationship, someone could reject you. Any, any of them. Hell, I could have a super awesome, you know, friendship with the deli counter person. And then one day I walk up and they're in a pissy mood and they're like, ah, yeah, right now all of a sudden I feel rejected by the deli person. It can happen. Then I go to forgive them. And then three months later, they've had another bad day and they bark at me again because maybe I'm somebody that they're like, you know what? I feel comfortable around Jesse. I can bark at him. I can't bark at all these other strangers, but he'll understand. But at that day, I'm having a bad day too. And I don't understand. Now, what am I supposed to have done? Just never forgive the person again. We're, we're fallible creatures. You can constantly be afraid that three years from now, it might happen again. But you are burning down 1,000 some odd days of what could be amazing happiness out of the fear that it could become what it was once then again. And here's the thing about it. It's almost like if that's what you're focusing on, that's what you're going to be steering yourself toward. Like I said in the last episode, we train you know, race car drivers, don't look at the wall or you hit it. If you're constantly like, you know, it's only a matter of time before you go back to the bottle and then you're going to cheat on me and you're going to steal money out of my wallet, so I'm just going to be a fucking dick to you now, screw forgiveness, then that could be what drives the relationship back toward that way. Humans would love to think that we can just act the way we want to act in our own little bubble. And yes, I say all the time that we are in control of our minds, therefore we're in control of our results. But, you know, the mind, <laughs> mind's a tricky little son of a gun. And it can convince us. It's like, okay, you know what? I've been showing you all this love, all this support, all this effort, and you keep throwing it back in my face. So screw you. I am going to just go back to the way that I was. And that sucks. That sucks if somebody says that. And it would suck even more if I was the one who saw this person pouring themselves out in front of me and consistently rejected them. And then one day saw that that occurred and then would have to wonder, wow, I wonder if I would have behaved differently if I could have stroked that fire a whole different way. We know that children who are loved and forgiven and shown honesty and love and acceptance and, and trust We know that they develop differently than those that are isolated and hurt and belittled and talked down to. We know. So why do we think that adults behave differently? Oh, we're older. We're more rational. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. Sure. Yeah, I'll drive down. I won't get in that car. I won't get in that car and drive over a New York bridge you're trying to sell me. We are humans. Inside of us all is a little child yearning for love and forgiveness and to be able to to cry and be held. It, it exists in all of us. In fact, that when, when we think that it doesn't, that's when we start seeing dispro- disproportionate suicide rates amongst men who are isolated in the uh, northwestern regions of our country, up in that Wyoming, Utah, uh, uh, Montana, Dakota region. A lot of men find themselves isolated. They drink very excessively. Suicide rates amongst older, you know, 30 to 60-year-old men, it's disproportionately higher up there. And it's because they're raised to be told, that they're raised, don't show emotions, don't show emotions, you're a weak little girly man. So they bottle that stuff up, they bottle that stuff up, and eventually it releases itself as anger towards others and towards themselves. And here's the thing about anger. It is going to show up. 
When we have been wronged, it is natural to feel angry and resentful towards the person who's hurt us. But when we hold on to that anger, it's going to prevent us from moving forward and healing. If you got to get it out, scream at the top of your lungs, then scream at the top of your lungs. Allow that adrenaline to course through your veins. Scream it out. You want to do it in front of the person? That's what you got to do. Let them know. Be like, hey, you know what? I, I really, I told you I was going to forgive you, and I know that was a year ago, and it's still still not sticking. So I think I'm just going to scream at you from across the room. And uh, yeah, let's start off with that. I mean, if that's what you two want to agree to, scream in your pillow, scream at the Grand Canyon. I mean, if there's anger inside, let's not, of course, get fisticuffs here. We're not looking to go abusive on somebody. But anger, prolonged, pushed down, could cause someone to explode like a volcano. Where there is anger, there is often physical, emotional, mental, or psychological, um, spiritual abuse. What is an outlet we can have for that anger? I do not believe that yelling and screaming is a healthy way to overcome any kind of disagreement, but it does happen. But if it's going to happen, and once everything calms down, is there a way back toward the light? And this is where sadness can show up. Sadness is a response to the pain and the hurt of the experience that we went through. Letting go of this sadness can, it can be difficult. It can be an emotional process, like, like fear and anger would be as well. There can be the sadness of, of losing something that you used to cherish. There's a, there can be a sadness around watching the way you see that person in your mind's eye changing because of their behaviors. It could be the sadness of a future that you thought was secure that no longer is. A sadness of the memories that you'll never share. It could be a sadness of the memories that you did share and how differently you look at them now with new information. It's like, going back and looking at memories of fondness and happiness in a relationship and then it turning out six months later, you find out that your partner was cheating on you the whole time and all those memories you have of those good times at the beach and on the vacation no longer matter anymore because now you know that what was really going on behind your back was infidelity. There can be sadness around so much of this. So you've got the sadness, which is more of the depressive state. You've got the anger, which is more of the adrenaline state. And they're both feeding into the fear. What if I forgive and then they do it again? You're right. What if they do it again? Then you might have to go through the sadness and the anger again. But if you blow up the relationship, if it never fully blossoms into this amazing flower that it could become because you hold on to the fear and you allow that fear to betray you, What kind of anger and sadness are you going to have toward yourself when that relationship does disappear? It does fade away. And then you do, at some point, do a self-inventory and realize that your actions and your behaviors played a major role in in the dissipation of the love. So you got to be a part of the relationship dying, and then you got to realize that you were part of the killing of the relationship. No relationship falls apart just due to one person. Everybody is 100% responsible for their communication in the relationship. What is the message you're trying to, to send toward the other person? Is it being received in the way that you desire it to be received? If it's not, it's up to you to reword it, for you to shift it so that it can be received. If the person is open to receiving and yet it's still not being received, there's a breakdown in the communication. 
this fear, this anger, this sadness, this stuff can perpetuate. And what it does is it gets you locked into this this future pacing state of mind. And I was alerted by one of the uh, tribal members that maybe I haven't dove deep enough into future pacing. I could have sworn I've talked about this before, but maybe I just say it, but don't really ever explain it. Future pacing is a cognitive process that involves imagining and anticipating future events. And it can play a very significant role in our experiences of fear in relation to forgiveness. Because when we're considering whether to forgive someone, we may future pace and imagine different scenarios of what could happen if we do or do not forgive them. For example, we may fear that if we forgive someone who has hurt us in the past, they may take advantage of us and our forgiveness and hurt us again. But then alternatively, we may fear that if we don't forgive them, that we may hold on to anger and resentment, which could negatively impact our mental health, our own emotional well-being, and then impact their mental and emotional well-being. So this future pacing is when we start, we get locked into our head and we just start daydreaming further and further out. Oh, well, yeah, they're great now, but what about in a week from now? What about a month from now? Future pacing is what kept us addicts for as long as it did because we would think about how miserable sobriety must be. Well, what am I supposed to do on a Friday night? What am I supposed to do with my friends whenever we're bored and you know we want to go out to the country and do something? Or we were in the you know we're all stuck in our apartments in the inner city and we don't know what to do. Well, isn't it just better if we were at least getting high on some drugs, drinking some beers? What about the wedding and the bar mitzvahs and the birthdays and the graduations and the celebrations? I can't not drink for a football Sunday. It's that future pacing that convinced us that, you know what, I'll do it later. I'll do it in the future. So then we're going to let future pacing hijack our forgiveness. It already hijacked our addiction. More more so, it really hijacked our sobriety and recovery. Didn't really hijack the addiction. It kept us right on the straight and narrow with that one. So when we have this lack of trust, and we're looking to rebuild the trust, but then we're future pacing a horrible future where they, again, are dishonest and they, and they deceive our trust and they blow it all up. And now we've forgiven them for something that they went off and rebehaved that way. Then, yeah, no wonder you find it fearful and have anger and sadness inside of you. I promised a lot of people in my life that I'd quit drinking and I let down a whole lot of people. Now, some of those people are still in my life and some of them aren't. Would they be in my life? The ones who aren't. Would they honestly still be in my life had I quit drinking and quit using then? Or would something else? A lot of people get kids and mortgages and jobs and, you know, it fades away. There's a, was it Paul Van Dyke song? Never fade away. It's really great. Look up Paul Van Dyke and never fade away. Gorgeous song. But yeah, friendships fade. There's a reason, a season, and a lifetime. But if we're future pacing now, what something might happen then, we're missing the beauty in the day. Well, it's a beautiful sunset now, but you know tomorrow it's going to rain. What the hell does tomorrow's rain have to do with today's sunset? In fact, what if the sunset's beautiful because of the clouds that could be causing rain but aren't today? It's like, Some people I know love to look at the weather app. Yep, the weather says it's what the weather is. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do on Thursday. I still have my plans for Saturday. I'm still going to go do those things. I'm not not going to go to that place or do that thing because it's rainy. Yes, if it's a picnic in the park, I might want to have a plan B. But overall, the weather is whatever the weather is. 
And oftentimes what, it, what, what they say the weather is going to be on Friday when I'm living here over here in Monday land isn't even really the weather that ends up showing up on Friday. So I can come up with a plan B for the picnic in the park. But overall, I'm not going to be afraid of the weather on Friday while I'm over here enjoying a beautiful Monday. So when we dive into this anger, we dive into this sadness, we dive into this fear, we understand it. So identify the emotion that you feel, right? Here's a, so a lot of the things I researched talked about pro- processing emotions. And man, and I'm telling you, I am skipping over some show notes here because I, I did not realize I had turned this into a two-hour episode. So I am definitely skipping over some things. I will absolutely revisit this in the future. Um, but I'm really glad I told you guys about Aristotle and Plato. I seriously would have been bummed had I not done that part. Um, so I'm skipping over some, but we're going to keep moving along. So I want to make sure I get to the processing of the emotions because everything and all the research talks about processing, processing. You got to process, you got to unpack. You want to, you want to move through this, right? Well, then how are we going to move through it? So we want to first identify the emotion. The first step in processing emotions is identifying the specific emotion that you are feeling. Now we talk about specificity a lot specific emotion that you're feeling. It may involve naming the emotion, anger, sadness, or fear. Name it. Call it out. If you don't want to call it anger, sadness, or fear, you know, call it a name that begins with A, S, or F. I don't want to say anybody's name because I don't want somebody out there being like, hey, you use my name. I'm not anger. So just you, if you don't want to call it anger, sadness, or fear, come up with another name for it. But you want to identify the emotion that you're feeling. Anger, sadness, fear, shame, guilt, hurt. Those are generally going to be, one of those six is generally where you're going to be able to pinpoint it. And if you're, if you're giving it a different name, you might be chunked down a little bit, chunk up until you find it under anger, sadness, fear, guilt, shame, hurt. I mean, whether you do or you don't, it's not important. It's what's important is that you're very specific about the emotion that you feel. But it's generally going to be in the family of one of those six. Now acknowledge the emotion. Once you've identified it, let's go with anger. It is important to acknowledge the anger, accept that it's natural. It's a normal part of the human experience. No matter how balanced and grounded somebody thinks they are, at some point, the little rage monster inside wants to be released. I can be acting perfectly calm as I follow somebody going 7 miles an hour in a 15 mile an hour zone. But I can promise you, inside me, it's like that inside out anger guy who's just screaming and hollering and like yanking on his hair and, you know, and like <laughs> contentment's trying to fight him off from getting the controls. I can be presenting calm and cool and collected, but inside I can be raging with anger. So I want to acknowledge the emotion. Because I know it's part of the human experience, but just because I feel it now doesn't mean I have to allow it to perpetuate. I do not have to allow it to keep going and going and going. Emotions happen and they spike in us, and then they really do dissipate. It's the remembering of that moment that created the emotion that allows that emotion to linger, to continue on forward. Because if we're experiencing the the event the way that it created the anger, it's going to be a lot harder to release the anger unless we're experiencing the event, and then we're now seeing it through the eyes of empathy and understanding. Number three, express the emotion. It's important to express your emotions in a healthy, constructive way. Are we talking to a trusted friend, a therapist? Are we writing in our journal, engaging in physical activity? Something to release the emotions. 
right? First, we're identifying the emotion. Two, we acknowledge the emotion. Three, we express the emotion. Identify, acknowledge, express. Express? <laughs> express, like the car wash I go to. Express the emotion. Now, again, I do not recommend that you stand 10 paces away from each other and scream at the top of your lungs, but I'm also not going to tell you what to do. We were all raised a different way. Again, absolutely prefer there is no screaming and yelling and definitely, definitely do not hit. But if yelling at the top of your lungs is a way to release that adrenaline so that you can calm down and you can get back into a state of peacefulness or hell, just be calm, hell, just a state of less anger, then do that if that's what you must. But we're looking for healthy and constructive ways to do this. And again, having a conversation with a therapist or a counselor or somebody at Al-Anon or writing in a journal or, you know, having somebody at your meetings at AA or at Dharma or Smart or Celebrate, whatever it might be. And then we want to identify the source of the emotion. We want to take time to reflect on what specifically is causing the emotion. Identifying the source of the emotion and whether it's to a specific event, situation, or in person, is imperative. It's the specificity. If it's just a general, well, I have anger about the way you used to drink and go out at night. Okay, but that's broad. So you can say, well, I'm sorry for all the nights I went out and got drunk. And the person could really have four or five in their head specifically. Well, this one night you came back from the bar stinking of strippers. And this other night you came back from the bar stinking of weed. This other night you came back from the bar and there was white powder all over your face. And this other time you came back from the bar and there was a pair of panties in your back pocket. Whatever it might be. Is there a specific source of the fear, of the anger, of the sadness? Is it specific to an event? situation or a person. Identify the source of the emotion. There's a practice in neuro-linguistic programming. It's called SWISH, and there's another one called mapping across. But they're both like, so you can map across. So let's say you want to stop eating so much ice cream. You can actually map it across to look more like broccoli. So you don't hate ice cream, and hopefully you don't hate broccoli, but it's one of those things where now you could see broccoli, and in your mind's eye, it looks a little bit more like broccoli, like not like a little tiny green tree, but there's certain ways that you can shift a picture. So broccoli might be down and to the right, and it might be a little bit faded, and there might be not much color, whereas ice cream is right in the center. It's bright. It's vivid. It's absolutely focused. Well, if you shift it down into the right and you drain some of the color out of it and you make it a little defocused, all of a sudden it looks more like broccoli in your brain. I know if you've never heard of that before, your mind's probably wondering what the hell I just explained to you. What's It's, it's awesome, and we'll go into that some other time, but what's important to note from that is that if you have a specific memory of the time that your partner came home and, and had broken trust, and now that's a moment that needs to be forgiven, it can't just be, well, you always went out to the bars. You want to find that specific time they came back from Thursday night football, smelling of booze and weed, and it, and it was your birthday. It's a specific event, situation, or person. With mapping across and swishing, which swishing is like if you want to stop hitting snooze so many times, you change the way the alarm clock looks in your brain so that you are more excited than you find it abysmal. <laughs> but there's two specific things. You can't just be like, well, I hate all ice cream. It's got to be, I want, I want Ben and Jerry's, everything but the kitchen sink to look more like broccoli. 
And you got to do it for each individual type of ice cream that you like because the brain's got a different picture for all variations of ice cream that it enjoys. Just like you're going to have different pictures for a specific event or a specific situation or a specific person. So you want to identify the source of the specific event, situation, or person. What is the source of that emotion? All right, and now we want to start challenging the negative thoughts and beliefs. Consider whether the emotion is based on reality or if it's just simply a result of past experiences. Is something that the person did in front of you right now the reality? Or are you trying, to, even if inadvertently, connect it to something that they used to do in the past? I've, I've dealt with this in my coaching when I, when I coach a person who has been cheated on. And then they'll like, you know, their partner will come home 10 minutes late from work and they're merely full of rage because they used to come home late from work before when they were at, when they were adulterating, but now they're not adulterating. Now they just literally had a problem with traffic or they stopped at the grocery store to get a candy bar. Maybe they even stopped at the grocery store to get some Ben and Jerry's, everything, but the kitchen sink, but either way, showing up late, fired them off. Now the reality is they showed up 10 minutes late. The story we're conjuring is that they're showing up 10 minutes late because they were out banging the secretary or getting wasted at the bar, sleeping with whatever is playing pinball over there in the corner, right? That's a complete made-up story. Is that just a negative thought and belief based on something that happened in the past? Are we dealing with the here and now? Because if I'm doing something now that seems to remind you of something then, we need to go back up to step four and identify the source of the emotion back to a specific event, situation, or person. And we need to have a calm, understanding conversation about it right now. Otherwise, we're going to allow these little tiny resistances to turn into resentments and they're going to turn into full blown up rejections, yelling and screaming and full of anger. So number five is challenge the negative thought and the belief. And then number six, you are practicing self-care and self-compassion. We want to be engaging in activities that bring us joy, that bring us fulfillment, right? Go back to what Linda said when she was on the show not too long ago about the joy-stealing dragons. Which dragon is coming at your throat right now that's holding you back from self-compassion and being able to take care of yourself? Joy and fulfillment, contentment, these are things we can strive for. These are things within our control. Cool hobbies, exercising, spending time with loved ones. This is what you do for self-care and self-compassion. Getting enough sleep, eating well, practicing mindfulness, all that jazz. We've heard that before. So these are the six. Identify the emotion. Acknowledge the emotion. Express the emotion. Identify the source of the emotion. Challenge negative thoughts and beliefs. And then practice self-care and self-compassion. When we do those six things, we can begin to build a road towards forgiveness. Now, I've got so many more things that I could dive into, uh, and then we could be here for another 45 minutes. But a quick summary of what we've discussed so far. We're looking to acknowledge and express our emotions in a healthy way. We're looking to identify the source of the emotions. We're looking to challenge negative thoughts and beliefs practicing empathy and compassion, reframing our perspective, making amends, establishing clear boundaries and expectations, practicing self-care and compassion, and recognizing that forgiveness is an individualized process that's going to take time. 
Now, when I promised you at the beginning of the show, I would dive into perceptual positions. And so I want to do that with you right now. And this is how we're going to close the show. I just got done teaching this for the NLP class that I'm doing this term. It's the one that ad, the ad that runs before the show. I talk about the NLP class. One of the things that we teach in there in this 10, well, it's 12 weeks long. It's amazing. You totally should do it. It's perceptual positions, and I just taught this last week. And so I'm going to walk you through it as well as I can without necessarily trying to dive in too deep and getting you lost in the sauce. So if you're able to close your eyes and get yourself into a state of calmness, I want you to breathe in deep. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to... Picture a moment recently where you had an interaction with someone where maybe it went a little sideways. Things didn't go too well. Don't pick something too heavy for this one. Let's just make it super easy and breezy. Something Maybe you you asked somebody to pass you a spoon and they passed you the pepper and you got disgruntled with them because you thought they weren't listening to you. Something super easy and breezy. Just to walk through this, you can always go back through and do something with a little bit deeper. But let's just do something super easy and breezy right now. Okay, so... Close your eyes, and I want you to, in your mind's eye, picture like your essence. And when I say essence, picture Casper the ghost. Picture like just like this ghost version, this essence of you rising out of your body. And I want you to go back to that time where that conversation went a little sideways. And I want this essence of you to float down into your body in this memory. And I want you to experience this interaction with this other person from your point of view. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What were you seeing? What were you hearing? Was there a taste? Was there a smell associated with it? What's going on around you? See this from your first person point of view. Not just the person that's in front of you, but also what was going on around the environment. How many things were happening while you were having this exchange with this person? What are you seeing from them? What was their reaction or response? What were their eyes doing? Where were you? What type of time of day was it? What attitude are they presenting to you? What mood might have they been in? What mood are they showing you? Take all of this in, all of this learning, all of this wisdom from this first person point of view And hold on to that wisdom. Hold on to this new perspective that you've gone back in order to see it from a different point of view. Now I want your essence to lift up out of your body in this memory, and I want you to float down into the other person. This other person you were having this interaction with. And now I want you to see it through their eyes. Looking at you, how are you behaving? What are you doing? What is this second person point of view showing you? What is it this other person was hearing and feeling and seeing? What were they going through that day? What is some of the information that you now are experiencing from their point of view? What led them to this interaction with you today? What are they seeing about you From this second person point of view, you get to see yourself in this interaction, which is not something that you often get to do. So take it all in. 
the seeing, the hearing, the feeling. Maybe there's some smells or some tastes associated with it. What mood is this person in? What attitude are they stepping into this? And what are they seeing from you in this? In this second-person point of view, what are you seeing about yourself that you did not see before? And now I want you to float up out of this second person's point of view, holding on to the wisdom and everything that you learned. And I want you to float back into your first person point of view in this memory. And I want you to gather up all the wisdom from both the first and second person's point of view. How are you experiencing this memory differently now? And with all this wisdom and new knowledge that you've gained, I want you to float back up out of your body again. And I want you to be a fly on the wall. I want you to be that third person. I want you to watch you and this other person have this interaction. Imagine you were a stranger and you walked up. What are you seeing from from both of you? How is this experience differently now from third person? What are you hearing and seeing and feeling from this observer's point of view? What about the posture? What about the hand movements, the tone of the voice? the words being chosen. How can you see and feel and hear this experience differently from this third-person point of view? What are you noticing about this interaction that you didn't notice previously when you were just experiencing it through your own point of view? What are you noticing differently about this experience that you didn't notice before when you were experiencing it from the second-person point of view? Every single second of the day, 2.3 million bits of data are flying your way, and your unconscious mind is grabbing all that up and only sending 126 bits of that to the conscious mind. That means that 99.966% of this entire memory was only grasped by your unconscious mind. You are experiencing so little of it in your memory, but now you have a chance to experience it so much deeper and so much more meaningfully. And from this third-person point of view, with all this new wisdom, with all this new learnings and experiences from this interaction between you and this other person, I want you to float up from the observer's point of view back into this first-person point of view in this memory. And I want you to gather up all this wisdom all the learnings, all the teachings that have come from all three different perspectives of this memory. How do you feel differently about it now? What didn't you notice before that you're noticing now? What slipped by your conscious mind and just got organized by the unconscious mind? And how can you use this new information now to step into a place of forgiveness and love and trust and empathy and understanding? And with all this new knowledge and all of these new wisdoms and teachings, I want you to float up out of the body from this memory, and I want you to bring your essence back down into the present moment and float back down into your body. And what do you feel differently now about this memory? How did this experience of seeing it from the first person and the second person and this third person point of view change the way that you are now remembering the event and feeling about the event and thinking about the event? 
And how will this change your actions moving forward toward this person? I didn't just make all of that up. 2.3 million bits of data every single second, and your conscious mind can only grasp 126 bits. That's 0.0006%. That is so little. If I tossed 2.3 million paper clips at you and said, catch 126 red ones out of this, you wouldn't. And every single second, your mind is trying to do that. You really think that you pulled out the best 126 bits from that interaction? And from all of this new learning and all of this new perspective, I want you to take this in and feel it deeply. What will you do with this now? How might this shift you in the future? And when you're ready, and you've learned all that you can learn and embraced everything new from this experience, you can open your eyes. How did that feel? How does it feel now as opposed to how it would have felt seven minutes ago? How can you experience this this memory differently now? And what will you do differently in the future? How can you step more into empathy and understanding and love and compassion? Where might you actually want some empathy, love, understanding, and compassion? Where can you show vulnerability and strengthen your weakness? And where might they also want to show some vulnerability and strengthen their weakness? And I want you to lock in all the positivity that you can take from this experience of perceptual positions. Hold on to this and go off and take action with it. Forgiveness is amazing. It is one of the most powerful, morally virtuous, courageous things that we can do in our lives. It's not necessarily easy, nor is it necessarily difficult. It can be whatever you choose it to be, because it is your subjective perspective that determines whether something is hard or easy. You can rip open your chest and expose your heart to the world knowing that there are going to be those who take advantage of it. There are going to be those who are looking out for number one. But there's also going to be those that are going to embrace you and love you and care about you. And if you're one of those people who has somebody standing in front of them begging their forgiveness, it's your choice whether to say, yes, let's work on it or no, thank you. And when you say, yes, let's work on it, Now there is a road ahead. If you say no thank you, then the road's done. The road's done. You can put a dead end sign there. You can, so long, farewell, as Vita's and goodbye to you, to you, to you and you and you. Right? You can sound in music the whole thing. No thank you, peace out. But if you say yes, now it's time to get to work. Saying yes, I'll forgive you is the easy part. The true work, the true discipline, the true willpower, the true determination, the love, the empathy, the understanding, the compassion, the vulnerability, the communication, everything that we have discussed today comes after the sentence, yes, 
I will work on forgiving you. I mean, certainly a lot of that will probably need to come into play whenever you're working on getting the sentence, yes, I'll forgive you out of your mouth. But that journey of a thousand miles does happen with that first step of, yes, I will forgive you. And everything else that we have covered here today will get you further down that path. I cannot express to you enough how enjoyable I found going through this and preparing this today was. For me, I hope it's just as enjoyable for you to listen to uh, about an hour and 20 minutes later. (laughs) Um, It is what it is on that. I just think that there is so much that our society misses out on by not opening up its arms and forgiving. And I laugh at how willing we seem to be forgiving of celebrities and musicians who've done whatever they do, right? I mean, it's like they didn't do it to us. So, all right, I guess, you you know, this celebrity did this thing to this other celebrity. I'm like, okay, I mean, sure. What does that have to do with me? Other than the fact that maybe I don't get to watch that TV show anymore. But when it comes to what somebody did in front of us or behind our backs that brought us sadness or anger, and now we've we're, now we're unleashing fear on a consistent basis, man. We think that the worst case scenario is that they break our heart, or they steal from us, or they lie to us, or they gossip about us, or they they, they hit us, or they do some kind of physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual abuse. We think that that's the worst case scenario, and. Certainly when we start stepping into the abuse level of it, that's when it gets more of a slippery slope that I'm just going to steer away from to close up this episode. We think that that's the worst case scenario, the lying, the cheating, the stealing. What if another worst case scenario is that we miss out on the best case scenario? That we miss out on the love of our life? that we miss out on a connection that beats all other connections, that we miss out on ice cream as the sun sets on a beautiful day or snuggles in the morning on a Sunday with some hot coffee in bed. What if we miss out on the smiles and the little kisses or the handshakes or the hugs? What if we miss out on the amazing holidays and the experiences of laughter and enjoyment? What if we burn it all down And all that's left is the rubble and the ashes of destruction. And in the end, what we were afraid was going to happen, happens anyways. The ruination of a relationship simply because we were unable to move past something that happened then, but isn't happening now. We want the relationship, but yet we're not willing to put in the real work at remending the bridge. And if we walk around thinking that somebody else is more responsible for mending the bridge, then it's really just one person slaying away with you know nails and hammers and whatever other metaphor I could possibly pop up now, but I'm running out of them because I've been on the mic for over an hour and 20 minutes. If it's just one person working on healing the relationship, it's it's not going to work. Okay, I won't use a definitive 
it's going to be more difficult for it to work. We stepped into sobriety and recovery to challenge every single aspect about ourselves because so much about who we were was built upon habits that led us to intoxication. And now we don't want to be that version of ourselves anymore. And if you're the non-addiction recovery person, you're just a loved one listening to this, we learn, it is scientifically proven that if one person's sick, then the whole organism's sick. If one person in the family unit, if one person in the friendship circle was actively using, then everybody in their own way was sick. Everybody in their own way has some sort of mental health issue that, that, that needs to be resolved, that can be worked on. So when I say sick, it's not like we're all coughing, right? We don't all have psoriasis, but we all have something about us that needs to be healed. That's the general thing that they teach in these CRSS classes, that if one person in the family is sick, then the whole unit is sick. The whole unit needs healed. This is not a one-way street. All parties involved need to be actively working on the healing. If you just leave it up to one person, it's going to go a lot less further. What's that saying? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. You make that other person be the only one working on the mending, they may be working on it pretty fast right out of your life. Or you might be pushing them even faster out of yours. But if you want to go further, you do it together. And as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. I have enjoyed the hell out of this episode. It went way longer than I thought it would. There's so much more I could cover. This is just one of those where if I could go back in time, I would make it episode five. (laughs) But it is what it is. I'll forgive myself. All right, my friends. As always, every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye. 